<laughs> Get your Atlantean crystals now. <laughs> Side effects may include <laughs> being turned into a pig person. <laughs> to those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. Because history has shown us that courage can be contagious. And hope can take on a life of its own. I will bring you hope, And I ask only one thing in return. We move now, together. Not at all. Hope is not lost today. It is found. Hope is what keeps you going. Even if the whole world is telling you to move, it's your duty to plant yourself like a tree. Look them in the eye and say no. You move. Welcome to the Skiffy and Fanty Show. Drink. Now you will close your eyes, and when you are commanded to open again, you will be listening to Skiffy and Fanty Torture Cinema. Oh, would you also be a pig person? Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be a pig now, does it? We saw a variety of possibilities for for human-animal hybrids. True, but the pig person was apparently the worst, because that was the one that creepy dude kept last. Like, he just had a pig lying around, and he's like, that's the one. That's the one. Nobody will remember this but me, but there was a Day of the Union address where George W. Bush talked about the fear of animal-human hybrids. Oh, yes. So, clearly, this is George W. Bush's nightmare. I do remember that. Oh, my God. It was it was surreal. I mean, not as surreal as the last couple of years have been, but it was pretty surreal. I wondered what the heck, and I was watching this movie, I was thinking, oh, my God. This is where he got it from. He probably watched this when younger. He probably did. That would explain a lot. He was scarred for life by this crazy George Powell movie. We probably should tell the listeners what we actually watched. Well, we haven't mentioned that this is torture cinema, for one, uh, and we are watching a film that uh, our Patreon subscribers selected for us, so th- thank you all. It's a film called Atlantis, The Lost Continent. I mean, you guys aren't giving us a lot to work with on this one. I'm just going to warn you in advance. Just do better next time. At least pick something that sucks in a spectacular way. <laughs> to be fair, it is a film that is on our list. That then Jen wheedled down to films that are available for reasonable prices in streaming. So, really, this is Jen's fault. How did George Powell end up on there so much? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he's made a lot of ridiculous films, so. <laughs> That's true. In any case, it's a 1961 film. We're here to talk about it, make fun of it, and uh, commiserate with alcohol. Which leads us to the segment we always get to, which is, what the hell are we drinking? And I'm going to start with you, Daniel. What are you drinking? Uh, I started with some rooibos tea uh, from South Africa, but then I decided that wasn't going to suffice, so I've moved on to a mixture of Crown Royal Black with Crown Royal Maple. Oh my. It's, I call it the dark maple. Delicious. Are, wait, are you just drinking maple syrup? <laughs> no, it's Crown, Crown Royal. It's Canadian, so they put there's a kind that they put maple syrup in as well. And so it's maple-flavored yeah. whiskey. Oh, it's a whiskey. Oh, Jesus. You've never had Crown Royal? Aren't you close enough to Canada now? I'm American. What's that got to do with it? Like, my best friend's <laughs> dad constantly kept, like, a giant bottle of Crown Royal on his bar at home. Also, Crown Royal comes in these velvet bags sold for dice. Exactly. Or holding game pieces of any kind. Yes. Also true. Yes. 
Look, I just got confused because he just said <laughs> maple a bunch of times. And so I thought, like, literally this film had had killed his insides enough that he needed to just drink straight maple to get energy back. <laughs> I'm just pouring maple into things, yes. <laughs> oh, God, that would be horrible, actually. Like, maple syrup's delicious, but, God, if you were chugging it, oh. Yeah, that, well, that's the thing. The, the Crown Royal maple on its own for me is just too sickening sweet. So I cut it with the, uh, the Crown Royal black instead. Somewhere there's a Canadian rolling over in his grave. <laughs> there probably is. <laughs> Possibly David Annandale. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, perfect. All right, Paul, what about you? I'm just drinking one of my usual Sprecher root beer. I can get those here. Yeah, that's right. You can go to Menards. I'm sure there's a Menards in Bemidji. I do have a Menard in Bemidji, in fact. I will be getting six cases of root beer very soon. Well, the big cases are only on sale once a year. Otherwise, they just sell the four packs. But every year, Menards puts on the big 24 case for a low, low price, usually around June. Yes, I. can you tell I buy this root beer often enough to know this? I, I stock up every year. Ah, Minnesota life. <laughs> yes, Minnesota life, which you're now part of. I know. Yeah, because everybody hearing my voice now realizes I have officially moved and defended a dissertation. Yay. So I'm a doctor now. What up? Yay! Dr. Sean. Dr. Duke. I want to sound kind of like a Marvel character. Anyway, all right, Alex, what about you? What are you drinking? So, unfortunately, I am currently still mainlining so many painkillers that I don't want to test my liver any further, so I am non-alcoholic at the moment, and it's very sad and distressing. So I'm just having an ice-cold diet, Dr. Pepper. You know that, I I can respect that. It's legit. Yeah, I was just like, I, I, God, I wish I could drink right now. <laughs> and luckily, the movie wasn't bad enough for you to abandon your commitment to your health. Right? I feel like, you know what? Liver, here it comes. Let's do this. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't need painkillers at that point because you'd just be so smashed that you wouldn't feel anything anyway. True, true. Until the next day. Well, and, and as my mom pointed out, she was like, not only am I concerned about painkillers, I'm concerned about when you're already on crutches, you don't need to be unsteady on your feet. And I was like, <laughs> you may have a point. That is accurate. All right. Well, I have decided that I'm going to be drinking two Founders Breakfast Stouts tonight because they're delicious. Nice. One for you and one for me. Yeah, I will drink one in your honor, Alex. I appreciate it. <laughs> For those that do not know, it is a double chocolate coffee oatmeal stout. Ooh. So it is basically all the things in one delicious bottle. Um, it's a little bit too classy of a stout for what we're about to embark on. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Well, with that, we need to dive into what this movie is about, which I think most people could guess just based on the title. Atlantis, the last, con- the lost continent, not the last continent. <laughs> and not the last civilization. It's not the last Oh, God. I love how this film is described as a science fiction film, but it, the only science fiction in it, in it is they found crystals that can shoot lasers for reasons. That is science fiction-y, though. No, they generate heat from the sun. Like, that's not how they work. <laughs> Who would like to tell people what this stupid movie's about? I think I've watched it the most. I think that probably should be. How, how many times have you seen this film, Paul? Um, Two and a half times. Why? I think it's actually he just wants to get his money's worth. Well, that <laughs> Daniel, you're giving away my secrets. <laughs> I'm going to somehow get $3 worth of enjoyment out of this turd. 
It's about worth a buck, <laughs> so yeah. Paul, what's this movie about? Okay, Atlantis the Lost Continent opens up with some really bad pseudoscience about how how things in the new world and things in the old world match really weirdly and what does that mean? And it means because there was a continent in between the new world and the lost world long ago called Atlantis. So my blood pressure was rising immediately at the beginning with this uh with this pseudo narration. We we then we then go to the ocean where Demetrius, who is our our strapping hero and and his father, are fishermen, and they are fishing in the waters. And Demetrius spots a boat, and like any good fisherman, when you spot a boat, instead of sailing over to the boat, he decides to just go swim over to the boat. Even though his father says no, it's probably sirens. It's probably a trap. And what's on this? What's on this raft boat thing? It is a mysterious beautiful woman who his father says do not touch her this is one this is again in a long line Demetrius not doing what he's actually told to which would actually be smart so he rescues the woman from the boat who gets all imperious and princessy on her because it's none other than Joyce Taylor's Princess Antilla of Atlantis who uh, I'll save that for later apparently is Juan wants to go back to Atlantis even though she's been rescued by a simple humble fisherman in Greece so she tries to lead on Demetrius to get him to use the boat she she makes she makes herself up but gets the customs wrong which in a little bit I liked she makes herself look pale and Demetrius father thinks oh you must be sick you look so pale and eventually she decides to steal the boat because we have because we're we're so sure that Princess and uh Queen uh Princess Antilla has uh sailing in her on her character sheet. Hint she doesn't. Demetrius has to rescue her and she is she convinces Demetrius to sail her to Atlantis, but he will only sail her for a month, which upon they will turn back and she will become his wedded life wife forever. But she has a plan. They go through fog and the real, a really bad rendition of the Pillars of Hercules that looks something more like uh, Scylla and Charbidus, but you know, let's, let's, mix, let's mix some quasi-myths in there while we're going at it. And she's sailing along. She's convinced him one more day and we will get to go back. And as, she, as we're doing this, a submarine rises. Yes, friends, the Atlanteans have crystal-powered submarines. Do you know this? I did not know this about the Atlanteans. They take them on board. The, 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 sub, the submarine travels to Atlantis, leaving the boat behind, but there was somebody on it. They just didn't leave it in the middle of the ocean. Comes important later. And they go chugging off to see the beautiful city of Atlantis, which looks kind of mostly like quasi-faux Greek. Greek with a little bit of other stuff. I saw some Lumasu on one of the terraces. They mainly are going for the Greek columned approach. I was actually disappointed. I was hoping for more of a mix if Atlantis a mother, mother civilization, but I digress. So Demetrius, instead of being showered with riches like Princess Antilla said he would, instead gets to become a lowly slave and go through th- such fun things as trying to go across this rope line, across a chasm where people do fall and die. And the guards just laugh. He manages to save a, an old guy from doing that. Meanwhile, Princess Antilla does not want to want to marry marry the the main antagonist of the movie. That would be John Dahl Zarin, who has who's apparently has some sort of weird hold over her ailing and dying father and 
Zarin really is running Atlantis, and I think he's probably just thinking that Princess Antilla would just complete the set. He's got to match them all, I guess. In the meantime, Demetrius goes through lots more labors. He meets he meets the surgeon, Barry Cronger, who wants to turn him into a pig. Man, that this does not go well. And then we go into the ordeal of fire and water, which apparently is, let's have some weird stuff involving a gladiator in a pit that's first filled with lava and then filled with water. Demetrius, surprisingly, survives, no longer is a slave, and then manages to get into Zarin's good graces to run the slaves. In the meantime, Atlantis is falling apart. There's more earthquakes. The birds have left. The bees have left. Uh, our our uh, our character Azar the High Priest, played by Edward Platt, is the only guy that seems to realize that yeah, Atlantis is doomed, and we shall get off. That you all should get off before it goes. LOL. Meanwhile, Zarin wants to conquer the world with his little bit, and well. He's got he's got Atlantean high technology, mainly crystal lasers. These crystal lasers wind up coming off at the end as our dear as our dear Demetrius decides to lead a slave rebellion just at this point. Slave rebellion topples the government. Uh Zarin tries to shoot everybody and everything in sight, but Azar sacrifices himself to stop him from killing our hero and heroine. And a, a few choice people manage to escape the destruction of Atlantis, which finally sinks into the sea, going to the four corners of the world to create the great civilizations that we all know and love from real life. The end. I actually now understand way more about this movie than I did when I actually watched it. Paul? What? Holy shit. That was the most detailed description of any torture cinema movie we have ever had. You have seen this more than two and a half times, admit it. Okay, I've seen it three times. More than that. No. N- no. Oh, okay. Oh, 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 okay. Okay. I will make, <laughs> I have seen, I did see this back in the 80s on Channel 11. This is a childhood favorite one, right? It's not a favorite, but it's one I've seen enough to know what's going on. Come on, Paul. Be, be honest. This is up there with the black hole. It's not up there with the black hole. You, like Forrest J. Ackerman, have one of the models from this movie somewhere in your apartment. I wish I did, but no. Because <laughs> holy shit, that was so detailed. Like you went into every like subplot, like, oh my God. And it made this film seem like it had a lot more going on than it really did. <laughs> a bunch of people are going to want to go see this now. <laughs> yeah, people are going to go, holy shit, this is a really complicated movie. There's a lot going on. And then you realize when you watch it, Paul just added emphasis to a lot of shit that's just like a secondary narrative that's over in two seconds. Or is dealt with by a cut in, in the edit. Which is one of many things that pissed me off about this movie is like literally we'd be in the middle of a dialogue and then it would just cut to something else. And it's like, oh, okay, we're just going to skip all of that. All right, we're done. So Paul gave us the, the, the uh, he must have at home on like 8mm or something, the, the director's <laughs> extended cut. <laughs> Fun fact about this movie, by the way, uh, the director, George Powell, did not like the script, but he didn't have a choice because there was going to be a writer's strike. And so he had to make this film. And in fact, the writer's strike occurred during the production, so they could not do any rewrites during production. So the director didn't like this movie, and I do think it shows in parts that <laughs> he was not into it. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a shitty script, but we'll, we'll get to that. I, honestly, like, I, I really like your summary of the movie, because 
it made this film based off of, you know, your racist uncle's favorite conspiracy theory about how no one could have invented anything and it, if it wasn't aliens, it was Atlanteans. You know, it, it made it sound a lot more interesting than it actually was. I, I oversold this movie, listeners. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the facts behind this movie are more interesting than the movie itself. I mean, there's all kinds of just interesting factoids. Like the, I mean, we'll get into some of that, I'm sure. But, uh, but you know, just like things that were reused from other sets. Uh, Neptune, who shows up briefly in a hallucination is made up of the same blue paint as the Morlocks from the Time Machine. Like, all this shit. Like, the, all this stuff is fascinating. The movie itself is a sleeper fest, but everything else is very compelling and interesting. And, by the way, Forrest J. Ackerman did, in fact, I, I think still, I don't know, he, he's dead, isn't he? Yes, he died in 2008. Supposedly, he, he had the Atlantean submarine which we do get to see in this film as part of his collection, the original model. Lots of just fun little factoids, but thanks, Paul, for the excessive description. I could have been even more detailed. I didn't mention that the place with the pig people was called the House of Fear and all that. I didn't get every single possible detail into that mo- into the movie. I tried, but you know. You did a pretty sour job. So we should dive into our likes, I think. Let's do it. You guys ready? Let's go. All right, Alex, I'm going to start with you because I just feel like it. Wait, sorry, are we doing likes or dislikes? Likes. Like, let's start with the happy. We're already so negative. So, uh, there's not a whole lot to like about this movie, in my opinion, because it's really boring. So I'm just gonna go with the hats. <laughs> I like the hats. The hats. The hats. There's all kinds of awesome hats. There were, there were an amazing array of some fantastic hats in this movie, including ones that looked like cakes and, you know, Azer's funky little quasi-Catholic-ish white and gold number with not-quite-crosses on it that (laughs) could have been the top tier of somebody's wedding cake. I mean, you know, he had some style going. There was the eyepatch dude who had, like, a thing with a bunch of feathers on it. So annoyed the astrologer, listener. Yeah, and then the guy who had the sort of, like, I I don't know, it looked almost like a giant kippa. Like, they had, like, a wide array of hats, and most of them looked pretty cool. Well, yeah, we especially see that in the Council of War scene where we have Zarin trying to convince this council, yeah, we must we must conquer the world before the world conquers us because Atlantis is under threat and our way of life is in danger and they're going to steal our precious bodily fluids. Oh, wait, wrong movie. I mean, that's really how that felt, though. They're, they're just like, you know, la, 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 moving along, and then they're like, we need to have a war, and, every, and the king's like, the mountains want war. The rivers call for war. War for the annals. And they're like, nobody's even ever tried to attack us. Literally, no one knows where we are. But they might. And then they will unite against us. So we have to attack them first. And I was just like, okay? With hats. But there were really cool hats during that. <laughs> right. There's there's not much logic there. Yeah, it was, it was extremely puzzling. Like, okay, one random asshole comes to your island and suddenly you're like, we need to conquer the world before they conquer us. They hate us for our freedom. But even his plan is is mind-boggling because all he has is one big laser crystal, but it's it doesn't shoot very fast and it doesn't actually cover that wide of an area. So, like, what is he going to do when he just shows up in Greece and is like, ha-ha, fuckers, I'm here to take your shit. And they're like, there's more of us than you. He can't melt them all. He's, I just don't, he doesn't seem to understand how war works. 
And then King Leonidas, like, fucking kicks him into a hole. I don't know. <laughs> this is Sparta! <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just more powerful than they ever really let on to us because the thing can melt things, but it also sometimes just makes them seem to glow and disappear. Then sometimes they explode and sometimes they just like turn to a skeleton. So maybe it can just like wipe out a city too or something. It's, it's like a beholder, you know, which, which eye stalk are you going to get? Yeah. There's like an RNG in the little awful plastic crystal thing that... You know, as long as it's controlled by someone with a fantastic hat, because I'm trying to keep this related to my life. It'll just, like, RNG this shit, and it'll be like, Oh, you're a skeleton! Oh, you're a pig man! Oh, your city's on fire and is melting in a geologically impossible way. We're trying to stick the likes here, Alex. Wow. Oh. Yeah, this this uh, this movie's ridiculous. Although, it, it gets a bonus point, I guess, for... For having a decent amount of interesting costume design, even though you went straight for hats, but some of the costumes are, you know, they look hot in terms of of sweatiness, but, you know, they went for it, so good for them. They had a lot of colorful things to go with the colorful hats. I mean, I, I was not disappointed by the costuming. I didn't feel like any of it looked overly cheap, like the terrible purple jacket and gala walkers. It was all very much in keeping with its own style. But but to be fair, they probably didn't pay for any of the costumes. They just borrowed them from another movie. A lot of them are reused. Yeah, probably. Which would explain, like, he was probably midway through the film and he was like, wait a minute, this priest is wearing a Catholic suit. What's, what's the, what? <laughs> Where did Catholicism get into this movie? It's like, eh, just make him a one true God worshiper. That'll solve it. Yeah, we, let's invent monotheism 6,000 years early? 8,000 years early? Who cares? Yeah, why not, right? But you all enjoyed Neptune's nipples, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> but Neptune was not really wearing a hat, so he is unrelated to my life. <laughs> so someone else should go. All right, Daniel, what about you? It was uh, only 90 minutes. Oh, ow. Valid, valid. I mean, it made it bearable because it was really dull. And the 90 minute time frame, it's actually kind of, you know, for its time, it's a fun ride for, for 90 minutes. There's a lot of little things that I liked about it, but actually I'm going to talk about one that I originally came into this as a dislike, but then Paul's wonderful summary actually made me realize it's kind of a like now. And that's Paul mentioned how Atlantis is really, it's the civilization that's founding you know, the cultures of many other civilizations, um, because it was sort of at the top technologically and the center of the world, as it were. And everybody went from the diaspora out into the world after this. And so originally, I was kind of annoyed that the sets and the costumes were just this hodgepodge mixture of all kinds of different cultures, like things looked Egyptian in there, along with the Greek, uh, throw in some Roman, throw in some Catholicism, you know, etc. Um but actually, it kind of makes some sense then if it did, you know, want to say that the Atlantis culture then kind of spread out and influenced everybody. Um, so I'm going to say that it's a, what I like about it is that they made use of the fact that they had the limited budget, they had problems in making it, that they made the best they could of having, having to reuse props and costumes and all kinds of stuff and actually try to make it make a little sense. Although apparently looking at Wikipedia, it says that when pointed out to George Powell, the director, 
that there were thousands of years of difference between the various costumes and props? He replied, eh, who knows? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> You, you constructed this beautiful theory for how it could not be shit, and then yes. and then the director's like, "Not nah, shit, don't care." Well, I do get the impression that George Powell did. He he just was not in. He just movie. was done. Yeah, yeah. So that was probably one of those things where it's like you ask me a serious question about a movie I don't give a shit about. So eh, whatever. <laughs> oh God. Okay, I, I'll give you that. You you get an A plus for that answer. Thank thank you very much, Professor. You're, you're welcome. I'm officially a professor now. So That's right. I can give A's to anybody I want. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's dive into Paul's like. Uh, which one do I pick? Oh, Jesus, Paul. <laughs> I, as I pointed out, I know this movie way too well for anybody's good. Okay, so I'll go with one that seems obvious once I mention it. And you say, oh, of course, Paul would like that. I like the model maps. The maps themselves. Yeah, because because they're they're topographic model maps that they made out of clay that get get to see a model of Atlantis, get to see Europe and Asia and Atlantis from the glimpses we get to see and the freeze framing and looking at it doesn't obviously break laws of geology in terms of at least the mapping. We don't have rivers going over mountain ranges. We don't have rivers splitting up and going to three different places on the way to the ocean or anything stupid like that. We have Two nice river systems, one to the north, one to the south. There even looks to be a continental divide between the two of them. That makes sense. There's two drainage basins in this world. Alex knows what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. It looks. Like I appreciate this. Atlantis actually seems to make some geologic and terrain sense from what we see in those maps. And this movie is even a bit about cartography and exploration because the Atlanteans don't know what's what the Mediterranean is. They don't even call it the Mediterranean because it's not their Mediterranean. They call it the Hidden Sea. And, I mean, part, part of the plot line, I didn't go every single possible beat. I mean, they're talking to Demetrius about what that terrain is like in an effort to basically plan their invasions. And Demetrius gives them good information to start with because they bring in one of the other slaves, the old guy that they saved. And the old guy thinks that Demetrius is on the take. And like you. You're a traitor. You told him everything we know about our world. And I, I felt that was a nice little bit of, okay, the Atlanteans might be in the center of the world, but they don't know everything, at, but they do want to. And there's, so there's an, a spirit of exploration, discovery, and trying to conquer the world that makes me think of a civilization game. So the Atlanteans yeah. are basically, basically playing Civ. They have lots of extra techs. The rest of the world is mostly barbarians. And but there's still plenty of black space out there that they don't know about. And I find that interesting. They don't know. They know lots of things. They have all this lovely stuff, but they don't know everything. And they're still trying to find that stuff out and push that stuff out. And I like that spirit, even if they've turned it to absolutely positively evil ends and trying to conquer the world. Wait, Paul, you know that map so well. Is that the prop that you own? Listeners, no, I do not own a prop of that map. I wish I would. I would totally. <laughs> no, no, no. You may not own the original prop, but you definitely paused the video and took a high definition screen cap and then went down to a copy place and had it printed in an eight by 12 foot print that's on your wall. No, although now I am tempted to take a screenshot of this and basically try to recreate the map for myself. There's an idea. Thank you, Sean. I'm making notes. 
<laughs> it is a good map. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> it's about time for you to tell us your like. I know, my like. Um, there, there are so many things to choose, really, about this film. I mean, do you talk about just how this movie treats women? I mean, it's really, you know, revolutionary, very feminist. Uh, well, <laughs> it includes a woman. Uh, no. So, you know, I, I'm going to go with the, the like that's probably the most legitimate, which would be that, uh, though I know they recycled a lot of footage and, uh, you know, and things like that, a lot of the visuals I just really, really enjoyed. Um, you know, these big wide shots of like the city with lots of people in it, or even some of the shots of Atlantis actually sinking into the ocean. Uh, I really enjoyed those because they just are really, they felt really physical and real. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously the technology is not like up to snuff as in for today, but they really did seem to work very well with what they had and came up with some really great shots that I just really liked looking at. Um, because they, they do have some great set design here. Uh, it's one of the real positives, I think, of the film. Um, they don't really use the set design very well, uh, because I, I, or at least not well enough to keep me awake, but they, they did what they could. So I did enjoy that. I will also say that I did enjoy the opening, but only because it confused the shit out of me. Because I thought I was watching a Disney movie. <laughs> like, you know those Disney movies where like they have the guy talk to you and then fucking Goofy shows up afterwards? That's what I thought I was watching. And then Goofy didn't show up. It may be the same narrator. It might be the same narrator. Because he's, he's apparently been in every George Powell movie. And he's a fairly famous narrator from what I get. Well, I, I, it's a like and a dislike, I guess. Because on the one hand, I really enjoyed that. Just the, the guy talking to me and with this cool map picture. But on the other hand, I was disappointed because Goofy didn't show up afterwards. And that's really what you wanted. Why couldn't they have done Atlantis, the, the lost continent, but told with fucking Goofy? And just have him, like, getting stuck in, like, craters and shit. And, like, trying to use, like, an Atlantean vacuum cleaner and sucking his own ears up or whatever. Like, that would be perfect. Sean, have you seen Atlantis, the Lost Empire? Honestly, Paul, I cannot tell you what the difference between that film and this one would be because I, already the title's confusing me. Uh, the animated one that Disney did? Oh, so does it have Goofy in it? No. If Goofy's not in it, I, I definitely haven't seen it. I just wanted to follow up on Sean's like that, that I think that's, that is probably the biggest one from this. And I wanted to just follow up on it to say that I think a lot of kids back in the day that saw this movie like we're blown away by the special effects and it and just by the adventure of it even though it was kind of a, a crappy adventure movie even for the time when kids saw it they still really got a lot out of it and so i think there's a lot of fans of this movie out there or there seem to be that remember it fondly from childhood um and kind of inspired them to to like similar genre i guess or even to like movies so it it had that maybe Maybe. Possibly. You never know. Alright, well, I guess we gotta turn to negatives now. Because that means it's, it's time for dislikes. Oh, yeah. Target-rich environment. Even for a, a relatively pedestrian movie that's not that exciting, that even I have a soft spot for you, yeah, there's stuff in here that makes me go, what? 
Let's get this this road started, Alex. I'm going to go to you. Pick one. Pick one of your 8 million dislikes. Okay, you know what? Fine, I'll, I'll just go straight for the thing that I hated the most. You know, in a set of characters that were mostly not characters, played by people who couldn't act, the princess was the absolute fucking worst on all fronts. She basically, as far as I can tell, she was written by someone who has never actually had a conversation with a real-life woman. And, I mean, <laughs> the acting was terrible. Her motivations were non-existent. Her, she was basically there to exist as an object to be picked up and hauled around by Demetrius. And, and you know, get, like... There, there is nothing she does that makes sense other than... If she was apparently written by someone who just thinks bitches be crazy and do whatever they want and are manipulative, but then say they love you and it's okay. Like, she is the worst character in the entire movie. And she was basically also the only woman in the entire movie. So the only female character in the whole movie was just the worst. It, it's kind of sad that you say that because there there isn't a lot of Real Oscar-winning performances here. Right? And I mean, I'm sure she did the best she could with what she had. Or maybe she gave as little of a shit about this movie as the director did, because I'm feeling like the director didn't do a whole lot of directing when it came to the actors. (laughs) But it's like, oh my god. Like, there was nothing that this this, the character did that made any fucking sense. She did have the one line that was my favorite line in the movie, though, when he tried to come to her to help her, and she said, don't touch me. You smell like fish. <laughs> yes. And I really liked her at that moment. But the rest of it, I agree with you. All other moments. Yeah, I mean, she's like this constant back and forth of like, don't touch me. Kiss me, you savage. Don't touch me. Get away from me. Oh, I love you. I mean, her whole character makes no sense. Like, how the fuck did she get out there in the first place? Also a good question that's never explored. That, that was one of my dislikes. One of the things I was watching for this time, because it always had confused me in the past, like, well, how did she get on that stupid raft to begin with? And the movie never says or explains or even gives a clue as to why the hell she's on that raft for Demetrius and her father to find in the first place. We have, because as soon as she gets rescued, the first thing she wants to do is go home. So is she a runaway and that wants to go back? Is she a... Is she a survivor of a sunken ship? It never actually even says. And when we see how long it takes for her to act, for them to actually get to Atlantis from Greece. Oh my God. Yeah. So Bronze Age technology was sailed from Greece all across the Mediterranean through the poles of Hercules and to Atlantis. Yeah. That doesn't actually work that life doesn't work that way, guys. Um, It's like, so but she did it on a raft. Like How? Yeah, I mean, like, why did they let her out of anyone's sight? Because she's literally the only woman who lives on that entire fucking island. No wonder their civilization died. <laughs> <laughs> only child of a, di- of a dying king? Yes, like, oh my god, they shouldn't have left let her anywhere out of the palace. And they make it sound like she had been gone for a while. Yeah. Because she comes back and she's like, what's happened to you, father, since I've been gone? Like, while I was gone, like, almost like she was away on a mission or something. Yeah, but she's not competent enough because they write women characters badly in this movie because there's only one woman character and they couldn't write her to save her life, as Alex says. So it's like, I mean, there's there's an interesting rewrite of the movie. Okay, if she was like a agent spy 
forward advance for Atlantis studying the primitives, that would make some sense. But no, this movie couldn't even be, couldn't think to do that. That's an interesting role-playing idea. Like, okay, send an Atlantean scout to go check out the primitives. We'll make, but have, send a woman because they won't treat women fine and the woman will be able to find out stuff because they'll underestimate her. Okay, I'm rewriting this movie in a better way than it actually is. Yeah, I, I think it just gets down to what is the problem that Alex is identifying is that her whole character, there's, there's no thought to this character. The character, the person playing the character probably doesn't give a shit. It's just this, it's just really like she's just an object. She's just this thing that exists that exists solely to make plot points happen, right? Because her only purpose really, when you think about it from a plot perspective, is just to get Demetrios to Atlantis and cause Atlantis to lose its shit and then sink itself some and cause him to stay there too right exactly that's the only that's her only purpose but like she mostly doesn't do anything in the story she sort of like lacklusterly sort of begs her father to do some shit but like even then she's like has no bite to her she just sort of exists well yeah and, and I mean everything she even asks her father to do is centered around Demetrios so I mean Obviously, this movie does not pass the Bechdel-Wallace test. It can't, yeah. I, I mean, she's basically like, you know how I talked about the hats in this movie? Demetrius didn't have a hat, but that's because he had the princess. <laughs> she was basically his hat. Sitting on his head. <laughs> <laughs> yep. She was, oh, she was there cool. to like make him look ki- as heroic as he could. Oh, and he doesn't look heroic. He's so annoying. No. Oh, I just want to punch him. Just like... Like the annoying wish fulfillment character. No, I don't. There's no wish fulfillment in it for me with him. Because the second he, I know this is, uh, is anyone going to bring up the fact that Demetrios is like a misogynistic prick? Is that a dislike for anybody? Can we just talk about it? I mean, I already had my dislike, but but go off because it's so true. I mean, it's basically like you you could kind of have it as you know, a quasi hero's journey ish sort of thing where he's supposed to be like the 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 wish fulfillment character and you know, you could you could kinda like parallel it with Star Wars if Luke Skywalker was a misogynistic asshole with, with no charm who wasn't played by Mark Hamill. Like God, that sounds like a horror story. Ugh. Well, I mean, that's basically what this movie is. One tidbit, apparently uh, William Shatner was considered for the role. And, and then if you think about it, you know, we can continue <laughs> the parallel to Star Wars because, like, you have the giant laser that they blow oh, up at the end. No, stop. No, we have to stop this comparison. So it's like, it's like bad, low-rent, you know, shitty hero's journey Star Wars in, from the 60s where Luke is the worst. Oh, Jesus. And not played by Mark Hamill because if... if, if Mark Hamill had been old enough to play this role in the 60s instead of, like, an embryo. <laughs> he would have, he would have done a yeah, he would have been, like, three, I think, when this movie came out. Like, He still would have done a better acting job than the guy who played Demetrius. Can all you I'm just saying. see, Mark, like, three-year-old Mark Hamill saying, I will help you get to Atlantis, but only if you marry me. But no, because Mark Hamill would have been, done a better job because he would have been like, that line is super misogynistic and i'm not gonna say it <laughs> <laughs> so i believe in mark hamill you believe in mark hamill yeah so demetrios is is not charming the worst he's the worst he's sort of vaguely i guess sort of kind of vanilla attractive i, I mean i guess uh but i like i got kind of tired of seeing his nipples all the time i just wish he'd wear his shirt more but anyway but like but then he he like he keeps trying to touch the princess and she's like don't fucking touch me 
And he's like, eh, I'm just going to keep touching you. And then he gives the ultimatum. This movie would be so much better if they had just changed that story to he's supposed to be really charming. She meets him. She's kind of off put because she's a princess and he's a fisher boy. But it's sort of like Cinderella story. But then she's like, oh, you know what? He's actually really sweet. and He's a nice guy. And I love him. And then it would have been like, oh, that's that's inf- already infinitely a better film. But they had to go this whole fucking like, I'll help you get to Atlantis. But if we don't find it in a period of time, you have to marry me even if you don't want to. Like, what kind of fucking shit is that? It's such a shitty narrative. And it, the second that happened, it happens pretty early. I think maybe before minute 15, maybe minute 20. I can't remember. By the time that happens, I have just lost all interest. Like, I kind of wanted them to turn him into a pig person. Because he's just an awful piece of shit. Because well, he's a fucking pig. He is a pig. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm suddenly thinking of Cersei and her transformation of Odysseus's sailors because they treat her badly. Yeah. And, and it's like, yeah, they deserve to be pigs. I sometimes have sympathy for Cersei over Odysseus. Don't at me. Odysseus is actually kind of a shithead. But to be fair, almost all of the men in those stories are shitheads. It just seemed unnecessary. Like, you, why would that be the narrative you'd need to go with? Like, even even other films in the 60s were like, yeah, we're still misogynist, but we won't be that misogynist. And then she's like, don't touch me, but I love you. Don't touch me, but I love you. Let's kiss, but I don't. No, stay away. Don't touch me. No, but I love you. And it's like, what the fuck's going on? What's happening in this movie? I'm going to throw mud at you, princess. Also, how did he not die? Because I don't know about you, but like, if you throw, throw mud at royalty as a slave person, they didn't just whip you for that. They, like, you, you probably, at best, got like put into like one of those fucking torture things for a bit. And most likely, you just got executed. Well, soon after, they put him in the House of Fear, right? Yeah, but like... Just because the doctor wanted him? The doctor was all on for wanting to uh, do bad things to him, but... Oh, yeah, he had a hard on for his nipples. It was just weird. <laughs> yeah. That's a very strange scene there. That could, that could have been written in a very different way. That dude's creepy. He's supposed to be creepy! But, like, not the kind of creepy where, like, he, like, he feels like a... Like, I feel like... Like, he has done other things to people who he shouldn't be doing them to in secret. Well, well, you saw all the heavy-fisted themes of this movie, right? I mean, science gone amok. I thought they were going for Nazi illusions there. Nazi scientists and also nuclear power versus nuclear war as far as the crystals. Well, we can use these power, these crystals for good and power and light, or we can use it for weapons that destroy everything. So, yet yeah, they kind of... They kind of hit the theme a little hard in, on that. It's like, yeah, we, I get it. I hate you right now, Paul. I hate you. <laughs> what? You're making me fucking think about this movie as though it might have something interesting going on. Well, I mean, like, if you wanted to look at the movie from a sort of, like, Cold War, yeah, Cold, Cold War narrative, then, yeah, you could actually tease some things out of it, and then you wouldn't have to talk about the princess because she basically has nothing to do with it. Or Demetrios, like... Oh, God, Demetrios. Oh, the, what a fuck. I hoped he'd get shot by a laser, but of course he didn't. No, he's the hero. Of course he was going to live. It was kind of nice that the, the evil warmonger dude got killed by his own laser. Darren, yes. Also kind of amusing that the uh, that the laser had an auto-shoot function. Oh, that was hilariously good. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. And, right? and had one automatic oscillation on the laser because of all the things they thought about automatic oscillation is what they were desperately needed for the fucking laser 
They're like, I have a big fucking laser, but the one thing I desperately need right now, more than maybe perhaps that it could shoot faster or have a wider range of impact, I need it to oscillate when I'm not near it and shoot automatically. And oscillation in all dimensions, too, not just like left and right. right? It was going up and down. It's up and down, left and right. I need all of those things. This is why it took him so fucking long to get it done. Because he had them working on the fucking base for the thing forever. And they're like, Jesus Christ, dude, we're using like barely above bronze age technology. What the fuck? That's why they developed that chant while they were working. <laughs> oh, God. oh, wait, you're thinking like this, like... Shh, be quiet. They can't hear you chanting. Oh, Jesus, this fucking movie. Yeah, for those that don't know, it's because like when they're, I guess, trying to get the lava out. I can explain that to you. It was to cause the lava to come out faster, right? They, they're basically, yeah, they're basically trying to get the volcanoes to explode faster by drilling into it. So that's why they were doing the drilling at night to drill in faster to get the get the, the lava to come out to erupt and destroy the whole operation. I mean, as slavery revolts go, it wasn't a bad plan. I, I mean, they, they, they knew they knew Atlantis was technically unstable because because Azar had told Demetrius this, that, that Atlantis' days were numbered. So Demetrius' plan was, okay, why don't we hasten that? And if the lava comes out and destroys everything, no crystal, we win. So, yeah, so, so, so secret, so secret uh, drilling in the dark. But the chance, oh my God, what the hell is with the chance? But the slaves focused so much on that chant that they forgot, like, Going back to the Star Wars reference, they forgot to turn off like the Death Star's gun, <laughs> and so like they escaped. But then like half of them get shot by the laser. Yeah. So they should have spent more time, I think, also trying to like to sabotage that. Demetrius and Xandos are spending so much time there trying to close up the the rift of their secret entrance into the drill while everyone else is getting shot. I'm- it's like, what the hell are you guys doing? It doesn't matter anymore. They aren't to you. Don't, don't bother trying to close up the rift. You're getting, you guys are getting slaughtered out there. It's like bad, bad, bad script writing. I mean, at that point, it makes no sense. Like you just run for it. You don't care about trying to lift a rock to finish off the, off the, off the rift because you're not even going to go back there anyway. So they'll, and they kind of figured out you were doing that, dude. So what the hell? It's a, it's a very bad, it's very bad plot beats. It's just a reminder of why Demetrius is such a piece of shit, because he starts all of this, but, like, doesn't give adequate instruction to everyone, so they're all just getting fucked over, and he manages to escape with his girlfriend, and that's basically it. I mean, that is why he took the form of a middle-aged white man. He can only fail yeah. upward. Oh, that's no. oh, so true. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Okay, all right, Daniel's got to give us his dislike, because we're just rambling now. All right, so my dislike was, even though it was one of the best actors, I thought, in the movie, Azor, the high priest, that character just really annoyed me, um, in the sense of, starting at the scene where he took the princess out and gave her the lecture on how the gods don't exist, because actually there's the one true god. And giving him this sort of like, it's the 60s, so we can't have our heroes be worshippers of many gods. We have to make it like the Judeo-Christian monotheism. And make it very, you know, blatantly heavy-handed reference to that sort of uh, Christianity in particular, it seemed. but Yeah, so it's a quote vaticization of the movie. Yeah, I was not a fan of that. Yeah, that, that was super annoying. 
And so that I I thought it was completely unnecessary. And I mean, they tried to tie it into that, you know, the Atlanteans, the civilization was being punished basically by God for not worshiping the true God. But it doesn't make any sense. Neptune is literally in the movie. And he, yes, he shouldn't have been called Neptune because that was the, the yeah. Roman version. But anyway. Like, so, yeah, why are the Atlanteans being punished again? Because the entire world is polytheistic at this point. So. Like, what the hell? Bad theology! So, so yeah, that, that was probably the biggest dislike that I had. Aside from, aside from the princess um, being just an object character, that was the other big one. Yeah, it's, it's on my list. Instead of, like, the one true god, you're like, you know, no, no, his name's not Neptune, he's Poseidon, okay? They keep calling him fucking Neptune for no fucking good reason, because they're all idiots. It's Poseidon. I just want you to know that that you have tapped into the fiery pit of my housemate's rage because every time they said they called him Neptune because for whatever reason she watched it with me, she yelled at the TV. I can't blame Karina for doing so. It's like, <laughs> God so why it. did he look like Papa Smurf? <laughs> and, and and did you notice like they they didn't even give him like waterproof blue body paint? It was like fucking washing off. Yeah, but here's here's the thing: did he actually even encounter Poseidon? Poseidon slash Neptune because 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 until until it says it was a hallucination, I I mean we we get we get that room that uh Azar brings uh Demetrius into and we see a couple of, uh, one other scene in it where we have all these statues of gods none of whom are named or dis- or really described I mean it's a hodgepodge of of a pantheon that we. We don't even know what the Atlanteans really worship. I mean, they, they talk about, oh, t- taking science and making that into a god, which is, again, okay, let's do with 60s. Oh, yeah, we have to get that Christian message, in, the quovaticization of the movie in. So, so yeah, I can't, because we can't, we can't be godless science, science like, say, the communists. So I think that's where some of that comes from. So, yeah, but it's just like, yeah, that sort of worldling doesn't go anywhere. What what does the actually Atlantean actually believe in terms of divinity in this world? I have not a clue. I I do have a hypothesis. The blue Smurf man is actually the one true god. Poseidon, so Poseidon is the one true god in the in the Greek myths. Nep, Neptune slash Poseidon is the one that destroys Atlantis with earthquakes and floods because Poseidon is, Poseidon's uh, attributes are ocean and earthquakes. And how did Atlantis fall? Mm, ocean and earthquakes. It, so, yeah. Apparently somebody put it on, like, a little, like, springboard, like, spring-loaded flippy-up thing. <laughs> oh. where, where it catapulted up and then fell back, where I was like, really? Like, the destroying island thing was great up until this point, And now, now if you're not going to take this seriously, neither am I. That is one of the dislikes I have left, so I'm just going to launch into it. The destruction of Atlantis. Leaves a lot to be desired. This is George Powell, who is supposed to be, when 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 worlds collide, said George Powell to his bride, "I'm going to give you some terrible thrills." To quote the song, there are no terrible thrills in the destruction of this Atlantis. It looks cheap and bad. And while we had some decent cannibalization of sets and things from previous movies earlier in the film, and I noticed Sean was tweeting about them when he was live tweeting his watching of it, and I've seen this movie enough times to. To, to like that, the destruction of Atlantis looks cheap and gimcracky and does not geologically impossible and 
when 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 the thing goes flipping around like a like a like a like a flippy board in the water, as Alex pointed out, it's like, come on, you couldn't have spent a little more money, time, and effort on the destruction of Atlantis. This is supposed to be the set piece of all set pieces. You're destroying an entire continent, and you can't even be arsed to do it half right. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Paul. Agree. You're such a nerd. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I have literally nothing to add to that because it's yeah. just I thought that whole sequence was cool, but you're just like, no, that's all wrong. It was shit. It was shit. Like, th- and this is the thing, okay? The the reason I'm mad about the flippy board effect, <laughs> like, it would have been dumb if it like had had flipped and then kept going, but that would have been less dumb than what it did, where it kind of like <laughs> flips up and then flips back down. <laughs> it looks so stupid. It doesn't do that in real life. No. no, never, never, never. I have a book I bought recently on the pale geography of Western North America, and no, nothing like that happens. The cordill- Cordillera does not form that way. That the that's what the establishment scientists want you to think. Shout out, Daniel. True. I mean, we are talking Atlantis, so mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it's. We we just don't actually understand how real geography works. Uh, True, oh, oh, entirely I, possible. Alex's crazy uncle now. I I I think that I think the the geology in 2012 is better than this movie. Oh, I fucking hated that movie. Uh that movie just even when I think about it, I get mad. It's just so bad on so many levels. Uh, it's like this film. At the end, I didn't want anyone to live. Well, but but Atlantis is the mother civilization, so you knew people had to survive. <laughs> I, I I enjoyed the racially segregated boats that everyone right? left in. That was a thing. Yeah, that 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 was a little uh, too on the nose mm-hmm. for my taste. Has everybody gone through with a dislike now? No, I haven't technically done mine. The uh the the fight choreography in this movie it could be described at best as like watching. Two beached whales tried to have a conversation about ethics. It's just, it is some of the, like, oh, I just didn't get it. Because, like, the main character, like, he's reasonably fit, you know. He's a fisherman, so he's not a very good fighter. But, like, he gets in this thing with this real big dude who telegraphs his, his shots. And I didn't understand, like, why is this fight happening? Like, why didn't, why isn't athletic dude just wiping the floor with him? I don't understand what's going on. And then on top of that, so they have this weird fight in the middle where it's like, you can get your freedom if you, if you do the trial by combat through fire and ice or whatever bullshit. Fire and water. So basically what that means is they first fight in like a pit that is like basically covered in charcoal that they've lit on fire. And they have some like stone steps that they sometimes step on and sometimes don't. So I don't exactly know. And then at one point he picks up flaming rocks with his bare hands, but doesn't get burned. Whatever. Right. And so when he falls, he's like, all right, <laughs> they only singe his back. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just weird. And it, apparently the ogre doesn't like fiery stones. I don't get it. But anyway, so like they fight that much. But then when it looks like he might be winning a little, they, they douse the flame and then, ah, oh, water shoots. And then it fills with water. He he won the first he won the first round, so then they went to the second round, which is water. Sure, fine. What if you could if that's what you believe, go for it. Uh, <laughs> so they fill it with water, right? And it's like oh, it's steamy, and the ogre can't find him because the ogre's stupid. Even though he's not actually an ogre, he's just a really big dude named Ted that they found on the side corner. 
Right. (laughs) (laughs) So he's sitting there fighting. He's just like, and then he's trying to find the guy. And then there's like one foot of water. And our fucking hero is like swimming in the one foot and the ogre can't find him. But there's no reason because the water's not that dark. And he's not that far under the water. And he keeps swimming between his legs and like doing stuff to his feet. And I'm like, how's the ogre not fucking finding him? How is this happening? None of this makes any sense. The point is, right, this whole fight scene is like absolute trash. It is so unfun. It's not, there's no part of it that I enjoyed. I wanted it over and it went on way too long. There's a lot I don't get, but what I really didn't get about that was this is all being done in this coliseum where this huge audience is watching. There's nothing for them to fucking say because the whole second half of this battle, there's like steam coming up and you can't see anything and then they're underwater and you're like waiting to see who might come up out of the water and who survived. And so how is this remotely fun for the population of Atlantis that they love this, this uh, spectacle? Apparently, there's just not a whole lot else to do in Atlantis. Yeah, apparently, apparently their standards for uh, for Coliseum fights are really, 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 really low. I mean, I, I, any self-serving Roman citizen would go like, "Nope, this is not entertaining. Let's go, let's go to Circus Max." Yep. Jesus. Anyway, so we've made it through. We did. Yes. We've done it. We've done this stupid movie. So that means we got to get to our final thoughts and grades. Which means we're going to turn to you, Alex. Alex, final thoughts and grade go. This movie was boring and insulting and still not one of the worst we've ever watched because it was only 90 minutes, so it was over pretty quick. So, eh, gets a D. Fair, fair enough. Daniel, what about you? Um, pretty much ditto, more or less. It was dominated by feelings of boredom as opposed to hatred, per se. There are a few tidbits to really like about it. One thing I didn't mention was that the fish ship, those scenes where it like appeared, I thought were kind of cool. The scientists getting killed by the rather good effect weird bull humans. That was kind of cool. In any case, yeah, it was nice payback. Um, so I'm going to go with a C minus. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> All right, Paul, what about you? Yes, this movie is slow and plodding in parts. It's got one female character, and it's and she's done very, 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 very badly. It's the director just doesn't seem to care. Most of the actors are phoning in, and the Christianity annoys the crap out of me. And yet, I keep watching this movie over and over, and it's just as little bits here and there of the movie that it could have been, and stuff that I I just want to freeze and look at like like the maps and like did you know did you notice in azar's quarters there was there were sketches straight out of Leonardo da vinci just lying around it's like that's cool why don't you show me more of that so this movie has it's wasted potential which is kind of frustrating and annoying but it could have been so much more it could have been so much better i'm going to be nice to it though and you're going to roll your eyes at me sean because we have seen far far worse movies than this Definitely, definitely. That's so true. So I am. Go- I'm just going to give it a straight up C. I hate you. <laughs> well, I feel like the fact that it's only ninety minutes along actually makes for a better movie than many of the other ones we've watched that have been like I don't know, like forever. It doesn't wear its welcome. It, it it gets it. It gets in. We get to the Atlantis. Atlantis is a decadent civilization. It dies. People escape. The end. Go have ice cream. Cream sounds like a really good idea. I'm planning to have ice cream at the end of this podcast. So mm. you are a wise man. Paul, 
You were the chosen one. It was said that you would destroy the Sith, not join them. Bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness. <laughs> you are my brother, Paul. I love you. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, that hurt, Sean. That, hurt. that cut me deep just now. Oh, Christ. All right, my final thoughts. Um, Yeah, this movie's not the worst film we've ever watched. It had some cool things to it. It's probably one of the most misogynistic things we've watched. Uh, but sort of like lackluster misogyny very obvious but just they 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 obviously weren't trying that hard either phoned in misogyny yeah phoned in misogyny like yeah we'll just go for the obvious thing and then we won't really follow through i just i just it's boring it's so dull i i almost fell asleep like three or four times and so yeah it's not the worst we've watched but i can't give it anything above a d so it's getting a d uh because yeah it just shouldn't exist so there you go. I don't know what our grade average is. It comes out to a D plus. I mean, I feel like D plus actually puts it about where it belongs in the annals of torture cinema. Yeah, that's probably accurate. Yeah. Well, any case, folks. So you picked this movie. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you for being Patreon supporters at uh, patreon.com slash giftingyoufanty. If you want to vote for future torture cinema polls, that's where you get to do it. So please join. Doesn't really matter how much you join for other than it has to be a minimum of a dollar because I don't think we can take pennies. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it'll let you go less than a buck, but a buck always helps. A buck always helps. Um, if you would like to hear us do something like this, but rather than talk about a shit movie, we are just playing a ridiculous actual play RPG game that makes no sense, uh, That then supporting us on Patreon will help that happen. So that's our first goal. So, you know, give us all your money. Basically, we'll use the money probably not wisely. Campaign coins for everybody. We're not going to use it to make evil crystals that uh, shoot lasers, though. All right, folks. <laughs> so that's it. Stay tuned for whatever comes next, because I have no idea what it is. I think we're going to go away now. Does that sound good? Stay frosty. You're welcome, citizen. You're welcome. What, what is my tagline? Shit. Awkward ending and scene. Oh, my God. Do I have to do everything around here? <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show. If you'd like to support us, you can find us at patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at our email at skiffyandfanty at gmail.com, on Twitter at skiffyandfanty, and on Facebook at the skiffyandfanty show. Our intro and outro music comes from Dimension by Creo. You can find out more about them at freemusicarchive.org. 